She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out, a podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. started to understand like julie roxanne's a little bit like the kindergarten teacher she wants to make sure everyone gets it and i'm like the college professor and i just don't give a damn if, if some people don't get yeah, it it's like, like if you if you don't get it just get out of my classroom <laughs> because it is kind of ridiculous in some ways it's like okay you're a human being you shouldn't be putting your wallet in the fridge but <laughs> you knew how many times Alistair asks me where he puts stuff? This is half the reason I married you, Julie Roxanne. You know where things are. It's really, really useful. (laughs) And maybe, like, you know, probably older married couples are, like, rolling their eyes a little bit here because we're fairly fairly new at this thing. We just got married. But... uh, Sue us. episode of Far Out Podcast. Hiya. We hope you're doing just fine. We got a good one in store for you today. Yeah, this one is about personality tests. Mm -hmm. It's partly about the power of them and why it's worth spending some time with them. But we focus on them in a relationship context. So it's about how personality tests have improved our relationship. And we try to use a couple examples to really take it from the abstract and make it a little bit more concrete to see how a deeper understanding of this stuff can be actually applied to a healthy relationship. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, Alistair. And good morning, beautiful listeners out there. Yes. Hi. You look gorgeous this morning. <laughs> We're a little slow this morning. We got to, up a little uh, earlier than usual. <laughs> completely completely clear with you feeling a little um almost drunk even though even just, though there's no reason just, yeah. just thoughts little... aren't connecting as quick in my brain right now as they usually do <laughs> and as you will learn in this episode this is very confusing to alistair when thoughts are not connecting fast in his brain mm. where are we this morning we are house sitting in livermore livermore california we're uh, we're actually staying at my brother's apartment, my brother and my sister-in-law's apartment. They're off in Europe. Hi, Chris and Emily. Hey there. And uh, we're taking care of their two cats, yeah. Benji and Cleo. Yeah. And uh, Benji had a little run-in with the cops the other week. <laughs> uh, he's a house cat. And uh, my brother opened the front door. He came home from work. And caught Benji's tail in the door somehow. We're not exactly sure how. And Benji started screaming for a little while. It was like screaming bloody murder. It was terrifying. And and Chris just stood there just like, I don't know, shocked. Didn't, yeah. did, he didn't even move. He just looked. Froze, frozen. For, for, for like 30 seconds to a minute. <laughs> Probably not a minute because Emily was up. We were we were sitting around the table in the living room and or in the kitchen. And 
and Emily finally ran over before Chris had even like moved his head or taken a step. <laughs> Emily had come from the the table, ran over and tried to free Benji, and uh, unfortunately, uh, Benji was panicking and and Benji bit her pretty bad. Yeah. And uh, so she had to go to the hospital, and so they uh, they she had to go to the hospital because she got an infection yeah. from it. Because apparently, cat bites almost always give you an infection, which is news to me. I didn't know that, <laughs> but now we know. Yeah. They almost missed their flight to Europe. Actually, they delayed it a day because of this. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, after, we got a notice from uh, animal control because apparently it's regulation to to quarantine the animal and make sure they've got the rabies shots after. And so I was trying to describe Benji to the to the officer on the phone because she wanted a description. I was like, uh, he's gray and white. His name's Benji, and he's he's a bit overweight. And she's like, all right, the fat cat Benji. Benjamin the fat cat. And I was like, well, I'm not sure if Emily would say that. <laughs> she later sent us a text when we said that, saying, like, that's rude. That's that's just rude, guys. Well, you know what else is rude? That Benji eats all Cleo's food. He's twice the size because he has two meals a day. Every every meal is two meals for Benji. I'm, I'm sorry, Emily. It's true. We make it's sure true. we make sure Cleo's fed. Don't you guys worry about it. Yeah. It's uh, it's been fun being here. There's a pool. There's a there's a laundry room. I'm I'm, I'm liking this place. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice. It's almost over. But we had a four day holiday. Too bad we can never move into a place like this because then we couldn't run an unconventional podcast. <laughs> We can still be unconventional, whatever. <laughs> I don't I don't partake in this idea that we have to live a certain way to be unconventional. I'm on to the hard stuff this morning because I've been moving a little slow, so I'm uh, I'm drinking decaf coffee. Oh, that's the hard stuff, huh? <laughs> decaf coffee. Alistair yeah. recently uh, learned that there's still caffeine in decaf, and he was shocked, shocked to hear this. It panned me. But let's move on to today's topic. Yeah. Today, talking about personality tests, but we're talking about them in the context of relationship. So we want to share a couple personality tools that we've used that have given us a better understanding of ourselves, but, and also show you how we've used them in our relationship to communicate and understand each other because they've been for us game changers. I I really think they've been huge for our relationship and We were just reminded this the other day in an example we'll talk about later, but we've been able to talk about very difficult subjects in pretty nuanced and detailed ways because of some of the language and tools that we've gotten from studying personality and typology. Yeah, I think one thing I've been reflecting a lot about over the last couple of months, and it started really showing up before the wedding, was how much I realized just how different we are. And I think it's something we all have, right? Like we all hear this sentence, like, of course, we're all so different. We're all unique. We're all, but this is easy to have as an intellectual understanding. But when it comes to relationships, especially like either with your family or with a partner, like something that can be very loaded and very like a very strong relationship, it's easy for me to always assume that everyone is seeing the world the same way that I am. Yeah, the question is, how do you apply an understanding like that? Mm-hmm. And if you can't apply it, do you really understand it? Mm. I think it's very easy, like you said, to say, okay, we're all different. But 
How often do we get lost and confused and angry in individual situations? How often do we just try to bulldoze our our point of view or perspective across? Or and how often are we actually able to really see the other person's point of view and appreciate it as a different just as a different point of view, but not a right or wrong one, but just different from ours. Mm That's really, really hard to do. That is really hard, especially because it's like basically, as we've learned with the personality tools that we're going to talk about, I feel like I've learned that there's different sets of glasses, right? There's different sets of like colored glasses that people wear that makes them see the world a certain way. How can I know what it feels like to see the world with with green glasses if all my life I've had blue stained glasses on? You know, it's like, okay, yeah, I understand this intellectually, but if I don't have any understanding of examples of what it's like to see the world with a green colored glass, then I I can't interact with this person with this person in a very compassionate and holistic way. And we're talking about using, I think I've always started when I'm studying personality with studying my own personality first. Mm. That's the place to start because everything is seen through that filter, right? So understanding that a bit better will help you. It's going to give you the most benefits, but it's also going to help you understand uh, other people because it's always going to come through your filter. Mm -hmm. After you do that, you can start to, a relationship is usually one of the best other ways to really get to know a personality that's different than yours. Yeah. And it's not as easy as just reading a few things about him in a book or something like that because one, your own feel like your your own way of seeing things creates blind spots and it creates spots of where you kind of overvalue things or you or or that are your preference, mm-hmm. right? And so you see the world in a very kind of odd and sometimes one-sided way, mm-hmm. but it's very very hard to be aware of that for very long. Even when I have an awareness of it, I lose it all the time in day-to-day interactions. And then a lot of times I'll reflect on it and realize it after. A relationship can help with this because if you're both clued into personality and typology or whatever you're working on, you can point it out to the other person and you can see where they actually meet and kind of intermingle. Like you can see where your personality and the other person's personality like sometimes where they create friction and mm-hmm. tension, sometimes where they fit very well. And you can reflect on that from each person's point of view. And you can get not a 360 degree view, but you can get a view outside of yourself to some degree uh, from someone that loves you and is patient, hopefully. Otherwise, get out of the relationship. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just saying. But, but someone who cares about you and someone who is willing to do that kind of work with you, which is hard and it takes a lot. It is, it is an effort, but I think, uh, I mean, this is another understanding, right? This is another intellectual understanding of, oh, relationships take work. Well, yeah, but, it, it, you know, you have to actually show up and do the work every day. It's not just like, oh, it's a lot of work, and then you kind of move past it. it it's, it's a lot of discussion. It's a lot of time. One of the conversations we're going to talk about that we had recently I actually, I think was like two or three hours on, on one of our days off. And at the end, you're like, oof, man, it's, that was long. Yeah, it is long. But I think it's like the insights that we gain from having such important conversation are like immeasurable. 
comfortable. I, I think from my rational way of thinking about it, it saves time and energy in the end, you mm. know, because that three hour conversation could have easily been arguments for, you know, scattered along three weeks or three months or yeah. longer. Yeah. So I think it's been really, really helpful for us. And one other thing to say right now about these tests that we're going to talk about is this is not really with the intention of putting you in a box mm. or labeling you as one or the other. Uh, and actually my favorite kind of typology, which if you listen to the show, you probably already know is the MBTI, but actually, no, it's more Jung's type typology and philosophy. And the MBTI has built on that mm-hmm. in certain ways that are valuable, but it's, it's not, the MBTI is not a comprehensive uh, view of Jung's ideas, but that has been really valuable in helping me understand the world and give me a more dynamic understanding of interrelationship. But it by by no means is perfect and it and it's not the goal to mm. be able to type people or to be able to put them in, in boxes and, and kind of be done with it. It's a way to start understanding, it's a way to communicate, it's a way to kind of uh, develop, I I would say. Yeah. Instead. And I just want to say it one more time that Studying like personality and, and psychology and typology, I, I think I really experienced it a, a couple of years ago. The deep starting to understand, really understand the realization that we're all different. It's a pretty phenomenal insight when I started to really understand it's like, okay, we're we all see the world in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And there's some pattern to that, but we're all fairly unique. But there there are you know, in Jung's typology world, there's 16 archetypes or 16 types. And then everyone, you know, everyone's a different combination of these things, but there's 16 noticeable patterns. Mm-hmm. And it's, even if there's only 16, if you just hold on to that for a second, that's remarkable that there's 16 very different ways of valuing the world, judging the world, and taking in, like, and, and even what we pay attention to. In yeah, the world. how you process information. How we process information and how we evaluate it. What you pay attention to. It's phenomenal. It's really amazing. Yeah. And, and none of those, you know, I think what goes with this is none of those are wrong. They're just different preferences. And they have different interests. And we get in trouble when we believe ours is the right way. Or we believe everyone sees the world like we do or should. Because they can't and they don't. Yeah. And that has been a really big realization in my life is just realizing people don't see the world the same way I do in really fundamental ways. And uh, as I start to get a small grasp of some of the many ways you can see the world, it just makes the world feel 16 times bigger almost. Mm. So I think it's really worthwhile to spend some time with this. So we're going to just share some of the tools that we've used, some of the personality tests, quotes, that have been helpful for us. The first one, I think it was one of the earliest one we've talked about, actually, because I remember we were trekking through the Himalayas when you were reading this book. Mm. And it's the Love Language book. I think it's by Gary Chapman. I guess so. I had it somewhere. Let's see. Yes. Good job, Alistair. Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. This is a pretty simple one, but it's actually very powerful and it's definitely worth taking a look at. Uh, It's probably the first one I would would recommend to a couple, basically, because it's fairly simple. It's a very simple approach and it's kind of an introduction to the idea that, oh, the other person might not be exactly like me. Uh, in a practical way. So there's like five different love languages, which is the way that we express 
or like to receive love. So there's physical touch. Yes. There's quality time. Receiving jump, gifts. Receiving gifts. Acts of service. Acts of service. And words of affirmation. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for affirming me. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and you can, and basically the premise is that you prefer to give love and receive love in certain ways. And they may not be the same. You may give love in one way and prefer to receive it in another. Mm -hmm. But you probably have a preference for giving and you probably have a preference for receiving or a couple. Yeah. And this book kind of helps, I would say, outline that and help you understand that your partners might be different. And you may find a higher level of connection, deeper level of connection, a more satisfying level of connection, if you're able to understand what your partner's love languages are and uh, if you can give in that way. Yeah, I think for me, uh, for instance, the receiving gifts is very, very low on my list of love languages. It's one that it doesn't, it's not one that I consider very important. And so I don't think I ever realized that for some people, this is one of the highest ways they express love. And this has helped me have even more appreciation when someone gives me a gift because I realize like, oh, this is a form of how they share love. So that's one thing I didn't really realize. And we're pretty lucky because I think our top two are similar. Quality time. And I think, I think it is, uh, uh, affection. Yeah. Physical touch. I think mine is physical touch first. And then, and then we have the, the other one. Yeah. But we're pretty, we're pretty similar, which probably explains a little bit why we got off to such a a good start. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Yeah, for sure. But, but again, I think this this kind of I'm not sure what the word is, but it basically like puts all of these on equal ground. Yeah. And and when I really understand that, it prevents me from judging so quickly mm. when someone doesn't give in my love language. If I and, and I'm more aware that uh, okay, they're giving in a different way or, or they're expressing it in a different way. It's not mine, mm. but maybe it's theirs. Or vice versa, or maybe I'm giving in a way that they're not receiving it. I think it gives some objectivity, or it detaches me a little bit mm -hmm. from it, and I can I I don't have to take it so personally, and I I can do something about it. I can try different ways, and in the end, I think I I don't judge as much of whether like oh gift giving is right or wrong. I I don't know. I, there's less opinion in it. Yeah. It's just it's like okay, there's different ways. It's not my preferred one, but it is for some people. Yeah. And that's really helpful, that, that perspective. Yeah, the love languages has been really helpful, for sure. The most helpful one, the one that we actually are so nerdy about that we cannot stop talking about it off air, and we watch TV shows and try to like see the types of the people on the TV show, is... It's the MBTI. It's not just the MBTI. Actually, I think you can really deep. So the MBTI is a Myers-Briggs type indicator. Mm -hmm. This is used pretty, this is a pretty widespread typology personality test. It's mainly used in business. And I think that's unfortunate. But uh, it does have a lot of use in team building and, and organizing teams. I think that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. But a lot of people don't go much further with it. And it is kind of a deep, typology it's difficult like it takes some time and that's one of the big criticisms of it is it's not immediately intuitive you can't just see it and grab it mm -hmm. it is a very deep and pretty wide typology and i found that to be fascinating because this maybe there's so much to say and julie roxanne's <laughs> gonna limit me on this 
<laughs> As we were preparing for this episode, Alistair was like wanting to give a lot of information about this. So I was like, Alistair, you can't, we can't, we're going to make an entire episode about the MBTI and this like typology because Alistair has gone really, really deep and on it. And then I got upset because I was like, we need at least two episodes. <laughs> to talk about it one would not be enough we, we've started to understand like julie roxanne's a little bit like the kindergarten teacher she wants to make sure everyone gets it and i'm like the college professor and i just don't give a damn if, if some people don't get yeah, it it's like, like if you if you don't get it just get out of my classroom <laughs> okay my, my mom used to say that i don't suffer fools lightly Yes. I think that's fairly that's true. That's very true. So I'm going to try and we'll see. I'll try not to go off the deep end here. But there, I, I think what I really want to get across is this is not just for team building. It's not even just for relationships and communication. It 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 is really at its core a spiritual philosophy yes. or a spiritual psychology. It's about individuation. It's about realizing our highest potentials. And it starts off on the premise that we are, all have an innate, inborn type or, and what I mean by that is preferences, basically. Mm -hmm. We have different preferences. I'm going to talk more about what Jung did, but Myers and Briggs, who worked on this later on in, in the 20th century, added some really valuable stuff, as have many other uh, practitioners and, and psychologists and researchers. So it's been worked on quite a bit since Jung. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of, I'm talking about it in a, how I understand it now, but it all starts with young and it starts with a theoretical approach hold on you just for our listeners you guys might be uh familiar with it if mbti doesn't ring any bell you might be familiar with it because it's the personality tests that gives you four letters yes it's also you'll be familiar with it if you've ever heard the word extrovert or introvert because it comes from this yeah that's how fundamental like that's that's the uh impact yeah. that this has had on the world is it gave us the word introvert particularly oh. and extrovert um i mean wait myers and briggs invented no, the no. word oh, okay uh, carl young i mean carl young's really one that brought this into okay. the modern lexicon okay um, thank you carl yeah it's helpful <laughs> <laughs> so a basic in a basic basic overview what uh young discovered was that there are basically four functions Uh, and, and you think about this from a psychic point of view, he was trying to find a critical psychology, a psychology that wasn't like kind of steeped in its own assumptions, a psychology that, that would help us kind of evaluate objectively. Mm -hmm. And what he noticed is that there's four different functions we use cognitively. Yes. So the first is, the first two are about bringing information in from the world or kind of like processing information, I should say. So you have sensing, which is about your focus is on objects in the outside world. This is where you get your information and this is how you're processing. Basically, it's an extroverted, more extroverted form of processing, but it can be introverted or extroverted. It gets complicated fast. I'm going to try to avoid that. <laughs> Then there's intuition. Intuition is a more inner form of processing, processing through kind of inner values and judgments and, and insights. And Then we have two functions that are based on basically it's how we evaluate the world. Mm -hmm. So you have thinking, which approaches it from a logical, rational mode. Yeah. And then you have feeling, which approaches it from a more subjective mm -hmm. values-based mode. So those are the four functions. Jung identified that each function has an attitude, basically, which mm -hmm. is each function is either extroverted or introverted. 
So that gets us up to eight types. Myers and Briggs later on added another kind of layer. Yeah, another layer. I don't think technically you'd call it an attitude. I think it's a preference, but they they added another letter basically to the end of this, which was J or P, which meant judging or perceiving, which gave some more clarity on how the uh, how these functions were organized with each other. Yeah, because we all like there's these functions, but then there's a there's the priorities by which you know there's like for instance my preferred function what I what I really am good at is introverted feeling, and then and then it goes down. So like you have four main functions, which is called a functional stack, and we're going to avoid that because yes. it gets very complicated. Yes. But and this is again the criticism of of, of this typology, but I think. What needs to be said about all this is like, okay, you hear you're like, all right, that's complicated. But it's so much more, in my mind, one, inspiring, and two, useful. And three, it seems a lot more reflective of what reality is actually like, which is fairly complicated, fairly dynamic. And a lot of other personality tests give you kind of a static or rigid mm. uh, picture. Mm. This one doesn't. It moves and stuff. So there's a there's a couple other aspects of this. Um I'd like to say something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to say, I just want to jump in and say, yeah, it, it does sound complicated. Like maybe if this is the first time you're hearing about this, but take it from me. I am not Alistair. I have not read about 50,000 books on the matter. I've done the surface level. I'm reading a 500 page book on like the more intricate parts of this right now. And, and I've, <laughs> I've tried reading one page of it and thought that it was enough for me that a page was more than enough. But I'm first, yeah, I'm getting a lot of information from Alistair because he, he is a good college professor and he's able to kind of summarize things and give them to me in bite-sized pieces. So that's really nice. But it is possible to approach this and not spend 500 hours on it. Honestly, there's a few resources that will be linked in the show notes uh, at thefaroutpodcast.com where personally I've taken the test on a few different online websites um, that are free and all came out the same type. I just wanted to make sure that every test gave me the same result. And then we bought a book from one of those websites by a guy named AJ AJ Drench, uh, who's really, really cool and really simplifies it in a way, like makes it really accessible, in my opinion, even the harder stuff, like the more uh, complicated stuff. And we bought a small ebook from him that um, that encompasses all the 16 personality types. And that was really helpful. There's another really valuable part of this typology, and I'm not giving it. I'm going over it very broadly, but one thing that's very important and really what got me into this and really hooked me was its focus on the unconscious. The unconscious, which was a term developed by Freud and Carl Jung uh, also worked with Freud. So he was steeped in this as well. And he took it a a very different way than Freud had. Mm -hmm. And it's resonated a lot in my life. And the basic idea would I mean, I can't give you a basic idea of the unconscious, but it, it, shows up, it shows up in typology, basically. And it gives some explanation for what happens when we're triggered, when we're stressed, mm. or when we're acting in unhealthy ways. Uh, basically, in one of the ways it does this is through an unconscious function. So you have a functional stack, and your last function, your fourth function, is mainly unconscious. It's your weakest function, and it's the one that you tend not to be... Uh, 
It's your blind spot in life. And it's one that shows up a lot of times in unhealthy ways, especially if you're stressed. And this has been very interesting and informative to understand. Yeah, we actually read another book on this. Was that really me? Uh, Yeah, was that really me? I think an older version of it was called Beside Ourselves. Yeah, Uh, we'll link that. I can't remember. That was Naomi Kwank. I I don't know how you... It's Q-U-E-N-K, I think. How do you even remember that? We read that like a year and a half ago. I'm reading a book that references it. Oh, okay. Uh, But so, yeah, that, that was a book that talked about this in the grip experiences of being in the grip quotes of your inferior function and how that can manifest depending on your type and that gave us so much insights on one another yes because when when we under we started to understand what happens when the other person is in the grip or triggered and it helped me have a lot more compassion and realize like probably how like when i read my version of it like from my type she was pointing things that are extremely painful for me, like uh, a sense of meaninglessness, not knowing what the world is all about, feeling like I've lost all the meaning. This, When I'm in those modes, it's like it's the end of the world for me. And then I read your in the grip thing and realized like, oh, wow, that's um, that's really like... I noticed I had seen you in those modes and I kind of discarded it because it doesn't look like anything from the outside. But I realized like, oh, if he, if he feels half as bad as I do in those moments, then I need to have a lot more compassion for him and be more patient. That was the word I was going to use right there is compassion. It's given me a lot more compassion for myself when, mm-hmm. I'm, in, when, in, when I'm in those modes. For me, it tends to come up a lot as just being completely oblivious of my environment mm-hmm. um, and not like... Uh, I put a wallet in the fridge before and lost the wallet because I couldn't find the wallet. And I opened the fridge for a sandwich and there was my wallet. Like that That's me in the grip is that I have no awareness of my outer world. And um, if you don't know your partner's in the grip function, you may get irritated at it quite a bit. Which and makes just, it worse for the person who's yeah, already struggling. Because it is kind of ridiculous in some ways. It's like, okay, you're a human being. You shouldn't be putting your wallet in the fridge. But... <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's not, but it's not like that for the person. And and if you can just, even if you have to start by understanding your own and getting some compassion around that. But if you can, like you said, you can realize that everyone has one of these or everyone has areas where this is the case. Mm-hmm. And it can give you a lot of compassion for, you know, some of the dumb shit that your partner does. <laughs> <laughs> If you knew how many times Alistair asks me where he puts stuff. This is half the reason I married you, Julie Roxanne. You know where things are. It's really, really useful. (laughs) We've been talking about this just the other day, and we've come to the conclusion that I just don't even, like, when I'm looking for things, I don't even, like, I I visually can't register them. Yes. Because I will look for them, and I'll look right past them. They'll be right there, but... They, but that I don't see them. I don't know. I, I have. I can't see it. Yeah, it's like it's you don't have an image in your mind of what you're looking for or something. And and so usually, oftentimes, I don't respond right away when you're looking for something, and I know you're looking in the right place because I know that if I don't say anything or if I take like five minutes to get there, you'll find it within is, the five minutes. Which is usually the case, but not always. And it's then amazing. I, then so I, step in. I ask you and you just know where it is. It's in your mind. <laughs> like you have like a spatial visual <laughs> like representation of the world in your mind. <laughs> 
I do, I do. That is, uh, that is one of my strengths. I can only imagine yeah, what that's yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> so the third personality test that yeah. we've used, and we're not going to go into too much, but it's similar in some ways to to the MBTI. There's a lot of correlations. So there is. The, so we've gone deeper with the MBTI, but the Enneagram is another one that was really interesting and powerful. We, I knew your type. I took my test about a year or so ago, and that was really helpful for us to reread our types and it's, a, it's just another lens to yeah. gain perspective on you and your partner. It's this the Enneagram uh, has a spiritual focus to it as well. It also has a it has nine different types. They're arranged on a circle and they have relationships mm-hmm. to each other that are represented by lines. And there's stages of development, which the MBTI also has, but in a little bit of a different way. And basically, there's stages of development from unhealthy, average. To healthy. It's useful. It gives them insight as well. I think one of the ways to use all three of these of these personality systems is to read it on your own and highlight what sticks out to you about your type. Mm-hmm. And then find out what your partner's type is and read hers or his. And then you sit down and you have conversations about it. So yeah. you say, hey, what did you think about my type? And then you just read the things that like made you laugh or they're like, that's so you or like, boom, that was dead on. Yeah. Because sometimes those aren't the same things I'll think it was. Yes. So that's interesting. And then I'll read the things that like really resonated to me. So you get an objective and a subjective, like you can explore it from both sides, Mm -hmm. from the outside, what it looks like and from the inside and how it feels. And then you do it with your partner. And there's some very, very interesting conversations that come from that. And a lot of times We've been able to get around really tricky, sticky problems or challenging issues or emotional, emotionally, you know, uh, loaded ones. Yeah, yeah. Just by, it's kind of like walking around the problem. Mm. But if you can't, if you can't outline it, if you have no way to describe it, you need an outer perspective. These can give you an outer perspective. You can walk around it with your partner. You can point at it and laugh at it. (laughs) Or, you, you know, like... It really makes it a lot easier to have a discussion about it. And then what happens later is if you do this enough, if you really embed it, you start to notice when these actually happen. And that is extremely valuable. It can save you so much time. We've saved so so much much time. I I think it's like now we, I remember how it was maybe a year and a half ago when we really started diving into this together. Now I feel like we have such a vocabulary on this that sometimes something happens and we're just like, yeah, you know, it's just because you have this and I have this and that's why it was a little tricky. But we don't, it, A, it doesn't even become tricky and B, it's like over before it even started. And it doesn't mean that we're passive. It doesn't mean that we're not actively trying to resolve our, our issues. Yeah. It just means that I, I think we can recognize when they're there and we can understand that this is, okay, this is not just like being right or wrong, or it's not so black and white. It's much more colored. It's much more three-dimensional. And there's other ways to get around that stuff. Yeah. And and I think this also is where sometimes the word compromise can be used. I, I think when you start to understand your partner's preferences, and maybe like, you know, probably marry older, married couples are like rolling their eyes a little bit here because we're fairly fairly new at this thing we just got married but uh, sue us <laughs> <laughs> but it starts to help you understand 
what a healthy compromise would be. You know, where you can get a lot of bang for your buck on making a compromise with your partner and where it's going to go the farthest. Mm -hmm. And that's that's, that's really useful. Yeah, I think... Maybe to wrap up this introduction to our toolbox, as I like to call it, one big element of our toolbox that we're not going to get into here, but just I wanted to mention it, all the ways we communicate around these things, we use a method of communication, not religiously, but we've been influenced by it, called the Nonviolent Communication. It's a book by Marshall Rosenberg, also known as the Bergster in in between us. We always name the authors some way for some reason, like authors that have influenced us. So the Bergster uh, has influenced us a lot. And it's a really, really cool book. We plan on, I'd like to do an episode on it later in the future. I'm sure it will come up. But the point here is that we use NVC when we're trying to communicate around these things because NVC is a way where it's a lot less uh, alienating and a lot less kind of violent. Mm -hmm. Uh, way of communicating it's a way of communicating that recognizes that we're different and that we might have different needs and different preferences and so when we're discussing our different preferences and how we are different it can it's really a useful tool to add to this it builds bridges so now might be a good time to explore more uh, practical ways of how we've used this because we realize that these Um, tools might be a little abstract if we don't give some context of how we've used them in our own lives. Yeah, so you can go beyond just uh, exploring each other's type and and talking about it. I think once you get a good enough understanding, it it actually becomes some of the vocabulary that we use when we're talking about difficult issues. And this has given us a way, like I said earlier, to walk around a topic it's almost like walking through a minefield, right? And yeah. being able to tell the other partner where the mines are yeah, and avoid them for yourself. Mm. And a good example of, that, of a minefield like that is a conversation we had just the other day. This went over the course of two to three hours. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, it was a very loaded conversation. It's kind of, it, it was around an issue we'd been working on for a while, uh, for quite a while. And basically, without going into the details of of the actual situation, which don't really matter too much, but but what happened was you came to a realization that I had been trying to tell you for a while, or at least I felt like I had been trying to tell you for for the last three to six months, let's say, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe longer. And it was kind of one of those classic... I told you so situations, right? Where the one person feels frustrated because he feels like he's been saying this the whole time. The other person ha- also has like a resistance to surrendering or, or yeah. feeling like you're, I, you were right all along. And like, that's not the total story. It's kind of one of those situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what happened was at some point, you came to the realization that I felt like I had been trying to to communicate to you. I think you you were you you told me that you were feeling frustrated. Yeah. I was feeling frustrated. That that you you were like but I I, I knew it and and it, kind of a frustration that you knew it and I should have known better or you know like that I should have realized earlier. It was kind of one of those moments where it's like I I feel what have I been saying the whole time or what mm-hmm. have I been trying to communicate? Yeah. And so I was feeling frustrated and irritated. And I tried to unpack this for myself in in my own head, like understanding, okay, yeah, it's true that he's been saying this to me this entire time. Why couldn't I I hear that? 
And there's probably many things at play here, but I realized that he, you had been talking to me about something that a topic that is very loaded that like this is a realization that came around a very loaded topic and you had been trying to come at this from a thinking angle where you were trying to be really rational and giving me a lot of like you know bullet points explanations and 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 sending me articles and and trying to show me the scientific side of it which Turns out is one of the worst ways to communicate with me on a loaded topic. So, so, and let's 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 unpack that a little bit because it it takes a little bit to understand. Yeah. But basically, if we go back to what we were talking about earlier about there being four functions. Yes. There's two for how you uh, evaluate things yes. and come to decisions. Right. One is uh, through thinking. Mm-hmm. This is reason, logic, science, all these things. The other one is through feeling. This is. There's a more emotional component to this, but it's not feeling emotions like they're not equal yeah. in that way. But it, it basically evaluates value. It, it decide like it kind of determines value for yourself and value for others. It's a different uh, one might say irrational as opposed to the rational thinking. And in this case, we're not saying irrational is bad. Yeah. It's just a way to describe the way the this the, yeah. this process works and you are a very strong feeling function. In fact, that is your dominant function. Yes. My secondary preference, and a lot of times the way I like to communicate, is a thinking function. And so I was trying to communicate my intuition, my insight on this, my feeling, my belief, Mm -hmm. through a thinking way. Mm -hmm. And you actually... Now, we have to go back to the inferior function, which is, like we said earlier, is that unconscious one or the one that can often trigger us or gets triggered. It's when we, we kind of act in silly or, or uh, unhealthy ways. The meaninglessness thing that I was talking about earlier, like how I feel when I'm... Yeah, and for me, it was the wallet in the fridge was yeah. an example of mine. Well, your inferior function is a thinking function. Yes. It, it is uh, extroverted thinking. Yes. And so... Actually, not only was I not coming at you in a way that that was easy for you to understand or easy for, for you to, to receive, to receive, yeah, I, I would say it was counterproductive because it was actually triggering you around a topic that was extremely emotional. And this is often where the unconscious function or the the unconscious does kind of rear its ugly head. Mm-hmm. This is often where we have blind spots and where we do things that don't make a lot of sense. Or look kind of crazy from the outside. Yeah. And so not only was I not communicating you, to you in, in a way that you were easily able to receive, but I was doing it in a way that was triggering probably a inferior function for you and creating resistance. Creating a lot of resistance. I only realized this then. It's not like it was clear the entire time, but during our conversation, I realized just how much resistance I had had to even listening to you or admitting you might be right because you were speaking, it's almost like you were speaking a language that is not mine and you were trying to speak a language that I can understand, but that demands a lot of energy for me and it's not my, it's not my preferred way of of interacting. And my perspective was that I was speaking a very clear, very understandable language yes. that is preferred for me. And so my assumption often on that is that everyone should get it. Yeah. And when you don't, it, it's baffling to me and irritating and frustrating and all for the things sure. we're feeling. And so what we realized was that on a topic like this, or just in general, 
it's better for me to try to communicate from a feeling uh, function. Yeah. To talk more from a feeling perspective. It would have been, I know now that it would have been way easier for me to receive what you had to say if you had started by saying, hey, I'm feeling scared or I'm feeling this and then maybe give me some context. But it's like, I think what was hard for me and, and this is just unpacking it a little bit more for, for us. It, what was hard is that when you came at me with your thinking rational way, it seemed like you were coming from a place of, I know better. And this is something I often feel as someone whose primary function is feeling, because I usually come to the same conclusions as you, or, you know, I, I come to conclusions on my own, but not through such a clearly marked rational unfolding process you know like I can't go back and say oh yes so I read this thing on this day and it says this 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 and this so it's very unclear it's cloudy and but I do get I do get to the same conclusions and so and and someone with a thinking preference right now might think well that feeling is inferior or it doesn't make sense or it's not as good of a way yeah and that's part of the hurdle that we have to overcome with understanding our personal preference and understanding others and realizing that, and I appreciated this from the beginning with you, is that you coming from a feeling function uh, as a dominant has been extraordinarily useful and valuable and has helped us in a lot of ways where I I just, I wouldn't have gotten it. So there are similar situations to this reverse. Yeah, yeah. And that has also happened quite a bit. So it's not about like one being the better way to go. Uh, one makes a lot less sense to me, <laughs> but but I can recognize, and this is part of developing ourselves yeah. is developing these functions within ourselves, and also you know letting others act from their the functions that they're strong on too. That that is part of this developmental process that that is kind of beyond the scope of this conversation. But I think what's really important to highlight about this, and some people might be being like thinking, oh. Well, that's just men and women. Mm. And, uh, okay, that is, I guess, statistically fairly true. Women tend to be more on the feeling function side and men tend to be thinking. But that's not true across the board. And you're going to miss a lot of cases if you think like that. That's a pretty pretty clumsy way of thinking about this. It is often the case, but anyone could have these functions. It just so happens that it tends to be women more than more than men, but a lot of men have a stronger feeling function and they may not know it or be very comfortable with it because they live in a world, especially for men, society that requires and expects Mm -hmm. a thinking, Mm -hmm. a a more thinking approach to life. And so a lot of times um, if we don't even recognize what our strengths are, and this is also the power of personality tests like this, is we may be trying to act from one that we are not as good at. And this, for me, which this is something I've done in my life, has made me always feel second best. Where it's like, yeah, I'm really good at it. I can mm. I can do it. But there's just some people that do it so much damn better than me. And there's no way I can perform from my thinking function in that way. And this is a bit of a side note. But what I really want to say about this is whether you understand the theory or not, which you probably, if you're if this is the first time you're hearing it, you don't. And you think this is like kind of like, what the hell are they talking? And this is not about trying to help you under... Like, we're trying to give you just some insight into how it can be applied and used, but we're not expecting, and I don't think we've done a good enough job explaining it, for you to understand yeah. the theory 
behind it or why we've come to those conclusions. But I think what's really worth looking at in this and, and highlighting is that because we both had an understanding of our, our typology in, in the MBTI terms, and because we under, had a good understanding of the concepts, was we were able to navigate a really, really touchy, touchy situation that I think nine times out of 10 for most people ends up in an argue, an emotional argument yeah. and probably could persist over weeks, months. Maybe years. Yeah, because it's just it's just an impasse. Yeah. And we were able to see, okay, we're having an impasse and start to look at it from different angles. And when we did, we were able to basically transcend it or look at a different way to approach it. And it doesn't mean that that's easy. It will take me a lot of work to come an intention for me to communicate with you from a feeling function because for me, that's actually a fairly low function. That's my third. So it's not it's not my strongest and it's not the one I prefer. Mm-hmm. So it will take a lot of energy for me to, to communicate from you from a more feelings perspective. I, I can, but it's also difficult. So the problem's not totally solved and I'm sure it will show up again, but just by having some understanding, we've been able to talk about it in very detailed ways mm-hmm. and really kind of dissect what's going on. And that's made a huge, huge difference for us. Yeah, and you were talking about how it also exists in the reverse. And I remember a situation where I was trying to communicate with you something that was really exciting me, like a topic that I was really interested in. And and maybe I had read an article that was also relevant to what you were like reading about at that time. And I tried to tell you like, oh, you should read that article. It's really, really nice. And when I... <laughs> I've realized since that it wasn't the right approach, but I made my case in a very feelings-based way where I was saying all the ways that article made me feel when I read it. And for me, that was the best way to convince someone to read something, right? It's like, I read this thing. It was incredible. I felt really, like, it really got me thinking. It was, it was great. You should read it. And you're like, okay, but you're not giving me anything here. And I was like, wait, what? I'm giving you... I'm giving you everything. And I remember it, it got pretty intense that, that day. That was another loaded conversation. But you were able to tell me that to have your interest peaked in those things, you need to get more of the substance of the of the article or you need to have more of a thought presentation of what you're going to learn in, in if you do spend the time reading this and just learning that I enjoyed it is not enough for you to say, oh, cool, yeah, I'm going to drop everything and go read it. And so it was a very interesting thing. So the same way you are now make you're going to, you have and you will continue to make more efforts to come at me with a feeling perspective on things when you need to communicate them with me, I also do a big effort to communicate things in a thinking way when I want to make my point to you and make sure you understand. And and when you start to realize that, and when you can start to see how other people like to communicate, that gives you power. Mm. I mean, that's the power to influence right there. Yeah. And if you know how, like what function they operate out of or, or what way they prefer to be communicated with, you are going to be more impactful in whatever you're trying to do. And on the other side, if you understand this stuff, it depersonalizes it. Yeah. It means that you are going to be more, uh, I always struggle with this word, equanimous. Yeah. Equanimous in your daily life. You're going to be less uh, upset by the incomprehensible ways other people act. <laughs> because you're going to be able to comprehend them a little bit. Yeah. And, and that doesn't 
studying typology does not mean that I, I understand everybody or anything, but it does mean it's given me enough perspective to realize that this isn't personal, that this is probably a lot of times there's just fundamental differences in the way we operate and we can work around those mm -hmm. if we're, if we're willing to. It's just given us a really good vocabulary. I think, I think it's giving us a vocabulary and a, and a, a shared world to talk about these things that can be so different and foreign to who we are. But also I feel like for me, it's, uh, and this is more personal, but it shows up in the way we communicate as well is it's, removed a lot of shame from f like how I perceive myself because for instance having feeling as a primary function in a world that is mainly thinking and that values thinking a lot and rationality and and logic a lot in the western world at least yes well I've always felt like incompetent and I was always trying to act from my inferior function of thinking when, yeah, I, I can do it and I do it well. And that doesn't mean I don't use my brain. It's just I use my brain a different way when I use it in a feeling uh, way. You know, I don't think I think this this gets tricky to explain, but I now feel way less shameful that this is the way I operate. And I now realize that if I operate this way to my like using my best tools and my strengths i get as much done if not more than than the one who's using thinking yeah and you get it done in in your particular way so you have certain strengths that yeah. are needed right if you're hearing echoes of the introvert extrovert kind of like maybe the introverts dilemma podcast we mm. did it's because it's it's a similar thing here is that one there's a certain amount of acceptance that happens right like we can Uh, once we understand, we can accept that we're different and that's okay. And I think coming into our differences and really owning those is also f finding our powers mm -hmm. because then we realize how we can fit or how we can contribute to things. Yeah. This is a lot of the work that I'm starting to do around my coaching mm. is in this area is, especially with introverted intuitives, is helping them because I'm also an introverted intuitive and I grew up in a world where I use my second best function thinking uh, as my dominant because that's the way we learn yeah. to, to operate. If you want to influence things in this world, that, that's the easiest way to do it. Mm -hmm. And it led to me feeling like there was something wrong with me. And that's one of the dangers of operating out of one of our uh, inferior functions or one of the weaker ones is that if we do that too long, that can be quite a strain on us yeah. uh, psychically and it can lead to a lot of problems and it can lead to, to uh, disease and, mm -hmm. and, and bad health. It's important for us to recognize what our natural strengths are and then develop from there. Yeah. But operating out of our, our weak spot and not, not really recognizing what we're truly gifted at can be a really big problem in life. <laughs> Another area where knowing our strengths and our weaknesses has been super helpful is that we're not just a married couple, we're not just romantic partners, we're also business partners. And the way uh, we've been able to build our team in both those realms, in the, in the personal, like being a team and facing the life's events and being a team in the business realm has been super helpful. I was reflecting on this with a friend the other day and uh, she was asking me like, so did you, like, where did you learn to edit podcasts? Like, where did you get that knowledge? And I was reflecting on it and I realized I'm just kind of naturally good 
I still have to work at it, but naturally I'm good at taking raw elements, like raw tape, raw food, raw, like wood that is uh, completely not cut and kind of change it into something that is a finished polished product. I like to do that. For instance, I like to cut hair. I like to give haircuts because I, I watch the way the, the hairdresser does it and then I can re replicate it and I actually do a pretty good job. Um, and so I'm really good. At, I'm, I tend to be really good at that. But on the other hand, uh, one of my weaknesses is that if you give me a topic and you tell me to just run with it and like talk about it for 30 minutes, it's going to be really hard, like on the spot or even not just talk on the spot, but prepare a presentation. Yeah, to go that from is nothing to something. That That is really hard for me. I need to have something to begin with. And this is actually how we prepare most of our podcasts is you tend to kind of provide all the raw elements, which help me bring in my contribution because then it's just not an empty page. There's also... Yeah, you other... have raw material to work with. Exactly. And surprise, surprise, you, your type, uh, which is a creative type, mm. and this is one of the strengths of your type. And it's funny because uh, it goes back to, like, you, you have a strong aesthetic sense, mm. which I don't have. So much. And, yeah. and this goes back to the whole, like, you know where things are and I have no goddamn clue <laughs> where the comb is. Or, you know, I, I can usually find my toothpaste if it's a good day. But other than that, God help me on my own. <laughs> but but this is this is part of it. And, and understanding this, we know how to kind of organize ourselves in a business. Yeah. Like I often come up with the the raw content. Like I tend to mine, and and this is this works for me because I'm an intuitive type. You do that really, and well. I kind of pull things out of the unconscious and bring them up. But he goes into a hole and then he brings stuff back. I don't know how you for, do it. No one knows. We don't know where it comes from. <laughs> <laughs> but this works for us, and and understanding this, we've been able to organize our businesses in ways that that work really well for both of us, where we're both doing the things we're good at and enjoy, and we're minimizing doing the things we're not. And that's when it feels like a really good team. We're in a city, people. Did you hear that? You never hear that. Well, we're in the Caribbean. I don't know if you call Livermore a city. I, I, kinda, yeah, I guess it is, but it's a suburbia. Yeah, 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 but there's ambulance. So what I was saying is that we're able to organize ourselves in ways that are sustainable and empowering. And successful. Yeah. We've been much more successful because you're doing things I can't do or don't do very well. And, and they come well to you. I think that's also the thing is we are using our energy much more mindfully. Is that yet yeah, we're making it seem like uh, like it would be impossible for each of us to do the the things in our weakness spots. It would be possible, but it would cost me so much more energy. When I have an email to write that is like kind of hard and long, I will start because it's my email and it's my job to write it. But then I will have Alistair review it and because I know that if I do that, I'm going to save two hours and probably like a huge amount of energy if I'm not doing it on my own. God, I can't imagine you having to spend like two or three hours writing an email. It's it's it's. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be able able to do anything in the for the rest of the day. It's so tiring for me. Don't send Julie Roxanne an email. <laughs> if you're my friend and I haven't responded to you in two months, just I'm sorry. I'm getting to it. <laughs> she has to send it to me for review first. No, no 
of the friendly emails, but it's just like opening a new email that's empty and having to pop to like. Oh, it's also write. analyzing it, right? Like the emails you're talking about are strategic emails. Yes, a lot of times yes. they're sales pitches yes. or they're things like this. And so you're able, it's tough for you to put the content in. Like, yeah. like it's a bit of a, it's a, it's straining. Yeah, right? it is. But if you give it to me, I can read it and I can analyze it and structure it very quickly yeah. because it's just how I think. Yeah. And that saves you a lot of time. If you had to do that on your own, you could do it. You, you definitely can, but it would take you a lot more energy. So it's yeah. about being efficient with our days and really getting like kind of together, we're able to move things a lot faster some things yeah. faster than, than on our own. And this is spilling over into our partnerships too. And like the, with the employees we work with, uh, and our clients, like the better understanding we have of this, the better we can align ourselves mm-hmm. with the people we work with, which is why it is a really powerful business tool and the better decisions we can make about how to use our time, what to go after, you know, what projects to work on, the more we understand ourselves, the more we can kind of see when it's like, hmm, I'm going to need help there. Or yeah. I shouldn't touch that. Or that is, I should volunteer to do that. I'll yeah. do that. Because because it's really about using our res- our shared pool of resources in the most efficient and productive ways. Plus, I think there's a tendency, because our strengths come naturally to us, there's a tendency to overlook them and not think that they're that valuable. You know, mm, and true. and when you just said like in deciding to do something because deciding to volunteer for something in the past, I probably would not have been able to identify my strength as much. And now I realize like, Oh no, these are some of my strengths and not everyone has them. You know, it's that constant realization that what comes easily to you does not come easily to everybody else. Exactly. And it's continually learning and continually remembering that we're all different, that not everyone can do the same thing as you and vice versa, and that there is a lot of richness here. And it's also really tricky to navigate a world where everyone is so different. But it's I exciting, though. It's, it is exciting. And it develops a sense of confidence. You, if you work on this enough and you really start to appreciate what your strengths are, there's a, a wisdom in understanding your weaknesses and navigating that well and, and minimizing it, right? Or intentionally developing them, but not getting caught up in them and mm-hmm. kind of swallowed by them. Uh, so there's that aspect of it. I think there's also wisdom in knowing when a weakness is just a weakness and you need to accept it and not try to try to just like develop it nonstop. Like that's not the best use of your energy, right? There's going to be some things I'm just not as good at. Yeah. And that's probably never going to, like, I can get okay. Or maybe if I put a lot of effort in, I can get average. But I'm never going to be great at it. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, that's a, that's a limitation. So understanding our limitations, too, yeah. is, is great. But then also really owning our strengths and seeing where they are, you start to develop confidence. You start to understand where you're very competent and, and where you can add most to a team. You become more valuable. And it's also nice to be able to value other people's strengths. You know, like recognize what people can do and ask them to step in to help with what they're good at, because I think it's it it just feels good to be valued. And if you run a team or if you have aspirations of running a team, you got to know this stuff. Yeah. It'll save you a lot of time. So in wrapping up this kind of brief overview, I think we should return to what I I really think is the central insight of all of this, which is that the world is not like you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the world is not like you yet. And that's... you probably already know that. But the, but the thing, it's the recognition that everyone approaches this and sees it differently. And we may not even be looking at the same things. That's the real thing, is that for a lot of types, 
They're looking at totally different things, different worlds yeah. almost. Yeah. And the better we understand that, I think there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of compassion. There's a lot of understanding. It's easier to kind of navigate. And I feel like we also, this is also a great way to value every contribution and kind of rebalance what we're doing as a society. You know, I feel like maybe we've put a lot of emphasis on certain functions that are more valued than others. But if we are able in our own um, personal lives and professional lives, able to value other people's contribution and other people's function more, then maybe we bring more balance into our own lives and maybe this is a way to rebalance. And if we can recognize that if we're very good at a particular function, that, that that's a domain, right? Yeah. And there are other domains. And if someone else isn't good at it, that doesn't mean they're just inferior to yeah. you. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, it means that, yeah, maybe they're not so good in that domain, but maybe you're not so good in one of their domains and maybe you don't even know what it is or care. But... I think it just kind of evens the playing field a little bit, or at least it takes us out of a big risk, which is a kind of inflation or a narrow-mindedness where we think because we're good at this particular way and other people aren't, that that is, that is the totem pole mm -hmm. of life, you know? And, uh, and so I think it, it's really valuable in, in helping value other people. listening thank you <laughs> why do you always think that tone no <laughs> well we hope this wasn't too abstract we uh it's it's kind of a difficult topic to really bring down on on the ground level there's a lot there's a lot and it's tough to talk about if we haven't spent a lot of time kind of fleshing out especially Jung's typology because there's a there's a lot but there yeah and it takes some basic understanding so if you got lost on this one Do not fear. One, we'll probably do more of these. But two, <laughs> this can be understood, and it is worth taking some time on. So if you're interested, uh, we can send you a few places. There's another way also to kind of bring this into a more concrete, practical, daily way mm -hmm. is through coaching. This is where bringing someone in that knows more about it and has had experience working with it can, can be really helpful. So if you You're like starting to, that, to offer... Coaching yes. around this. I am starting to coach around, uh, especially around Jung's framework and typology and helping people bring, especially introverted intuitives, helping people kind of understand their type and the strengths and the weaknesses and how to kind of organize their life around that. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're interested in this and you'd like to go deeper with it, that's one way you can. Uh, you can also email us. We'd be happy to send you plenty of places to explore this in more depth. There's a few good ones. And uh, like Julie Roxanne said, we'll link those in the show notes. Yeah. And our email is host at thefaroutpodcast.com. And the show notes are at thefaroutpodcast.com. And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends. Subscribe and review. Yes. We'd love to read your review on a future episode of the podcast. So send them over to us. And we hope to talk to you soon. Toodles. Toodles.